Take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to the book of Job, chapter 38. The book of Job, chapter number 38. And let's read down through chapter 40 and verse number 2. Chapter 40 and verse number 2. We'll begin a, a bit of a review and... Um, and then we'll go as far as we can, okay? Chapter 38, we left off with verse 38, our last look into the book of Job. And so let's read now, beginning in verse 39 of chapter 38. And um, God has asked Job if he could explain to him his creation in chapter 38 thus far. Now he's going to ask him, Job, do you understand my creatures and can you sustain them? Can you feed them? Can you tame them? Do you know about them? Can you manage them? Can you provide for them? Job, you're wanting an audience in my courtroom. You want to present an argument. Let's see what you understand. You remember this is part of 77 questions. God asked Job. And through it all, Job remains silent. He doesn't want to talk as bad as he thought he did in the presence of God. And when he does talk, chapter 40, verse 3, 4, and 5 will be his first response. Chapter 42, about verses 1 through 6 will be his second response. And he didn't say just what we thought he was going to say when he got opportunity. Have you ever had your mind made up about something and got in a service and whether God spoke to anyone else or not, he spoke to you individually and he took your argument or your excuse or your complaint or your reason from you? I have. Um, he's done this to Job. He's done this for Job. Job's going to be a better man for God questioning him. As a matter of fact, I'll remind you, this is the longest speech of God in all of Scripture. This is it. It's not the only speech of God, but it is the longest. And so this is the oldest book of our Bible. And we learn um, in the oldest book of the Bible that God is on his throne. He is still in charge. He is not limited. As a matter of fact, if you can get that kind of straight in your heart when it concerns theology, and it concerns God and God's position, how he's revealed himself in the word of God, whether or not he is in charge or he is limited. God knows more than you think he knows. God has more power than we give him credit for. As a matter of fact, he's running in a universe and he's taking care of little old planet Earth. And everything from the tiniest of molecules to the greatest land or sea animals or mammals. He feeds, he clothes, he takes care, he allows his sun to rise on the just and the unjust and his rain to fall on the both as well. I think about that song that gospel singers sing a lot these days. God has taken good care of me. God takes care of animals out in the middle of a desert that nobody ever lays eyes upon, and they never lay eyes upon a man all their lives. God does it because he chooses to do that, and he doesn't have to explain himself to us. 
According to Colossians 1 and 16, he does it for his own pleasure. And that's something. As a matter of fact, he's going to mention the ostrich, you'll see. He's going to say something to Job. He won't ask Job a question about the ostrich. Every other animal and bird he will, but not the ostrich. I wonder if God's fascinated with his creation of the creature. It's one of the strangest birds on the planet. Next time you go by the zoo with your babies or your grandbabies and you see the ostrich, you'll probably wonder, now, God, what were you thinking when you created this thing? I'll promise you he had something in mind. Read with me, please. Job 38, beginning in verse 39. Wilt thou hunt the prey for the lion or feel the appetite of the young lions? When they couch in their dens and abide in the covert to lie in wait, who provided for the raven his food? When his young ones cry unto God, they wonder for lack of meat. Chapter 39, verse 1. Knowest thou the time when the wild goats of the rock bring forth? Or canst thou mark when the hinds do calve? Canst thou number the months that they fulfill? Or knowest thou the time when they bring forth? They bow themselves. They bring forth their young ones. They cast out their sorrows. Their young ones are in good liking. They grow up with corn. They go forth and return not unto them. Who hath sent out the wild ass free? Or who hath loosed the bands of the wild ass? Whose house I have made the wilderness and the barren land his dwellings. He scorneth the multitude of the city, neither regardeth he the crying of the driver. The range of the mountains is his pasture, and he searcheth after every green thing. Will the unicorn be willing to serve thee, or abide by thy crib? Canst thou bind the unicorn with his band in the furrow? Or will he harrow the valleys after thee? Wilt thou trust him because his strength is great? Or wilt thou leave thy labor to him? Wilt thou believe him that he will bring home thy seed and gather it into thy barns? Gavest thou the goodly wings unto the peacocks, or wings and feathers unto the ostrich, which leaveth her eggs in the earth and warmeth them in dust, and forgetteth that the foot may crush them, or that the wild beast may break them? She is hardened against her young ones as though they were not hers. Her labor is in vain without fear. Because God hath deprived her of wisdom, neither hath he imparted to her understanding. What time she lifteth up herself on high, she scorneth the horse and his rider. Hast thou given the horse strength? Hast thou clothed his neck with thunder? Canst thou make him afraid as a grasshopper? The glory of his nostrils is terrible. He paweth in the valley and rejoiceth in his strength. He goeth on to meet the armed men. He mocketh at fear and is not affrighted. Neither turneth he back from the sword. The quiver rattleth against him, the glittering spear and the shield. He swalloweth the ground with fierceness and rage. Neither believeth he that it is the sound of the trumpet. He saith among the trumpets, Ha, ha, and he smelleth the battle afar off, the thunder of the captains and the shouting. Doth the hawk fly by thy wisdom and stretch her wings toward the south? Doth the eagle mount up at thy command and make her nest on high? She dwelleth and abideth on the rock, upon the crag of the rock and the strong place. From thence she seeketh the prey, and her eyes behold afar off. 
Her young ones also suck up blood, and where the slain are, there is she. Let's read the first two verses, chapter 40. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? Job, you wanted to say something. Say something, Job. He that reproveth God, let him answer it. Job, now it's your turn. He doesn't have anything to say. You'll read the next three verses. You remember we divided God's speech into three different sections. And, of course, the question is in chapter number 38, verses 1 to 8, Job, can you explain it? Look around you. Look above you. Go out to the sea and look across it. Can you give me an explanation? It's mine, you know, Job. But being as you want to lecture me, uh, talk to me about it all. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If God wanted to stop man, he doesn't need an army with swords and spears, artillery and helicopters, missiles, long-range missiles, nor military strategists. In Egypt, he took the small lice. He took flies. He took frogs. He turned the river into blood. He shut the whole place down until Pharaoh finally let God's people go. It, it all belongs to God. It's amazing how he's used his creation over the years. Job, in this second section that we've just read, Job, I've not mentioned to you all of my creatures, but I have mentioned many of them to you. Can you talk to me about them? Why they are the way they are? Can you feed them? Do you even know when they are hungered? Job, can you talk to me about it all? The implication of this section that we're in now is that God takes care. He takes care of you. He takes care of me. He takes care of all of his creation. As a matter of fact, science tells us that everything molecular, molecularly should be opposed to everything else. This thing ought to be chaos. And again, referencing the book of Colossians, we're told that by him all things consist. That is, by the word of his power, all things are held together. In the last section, of course, he will ask Job if he can subdue his creation. You remember when he started this round of questioning, he questioned Job again about creation. Job, you weren't there when I created. You're not old enough to talk to me about it, but I'm going to give you a shot. He asked him his questions, chapter 38. He questioned him about the oceans and the seas. Job, did you establish the shorelines? Did you mark out the boundaries of the oceans and the seas? Did you set all this up, this water system? Job, did you do that? He questioned Job about the sun. Job, I tell the sun to rise every morning, he says to him. Have you ever told the sun to rise? Have you ever caused the sun to rise one morning in your 50 to 60 years of life? I've done it every day since you've been alive. I did it every day since I uh, created the sun, the moons, and the stars and located light and fixed it from a particular area. He questioned Job concerning various, various elements about creation. He questioned him about the sea. In essence, he said, Job, you can go out and look at the top of the sea. Did you know it has a bottom? And did you know I know what's on the bottom? Job, have you been down on the bottom of the sea? There are springs that are down there. You didn't know that, did you, Job? And yet you want to talk to me. You want to give me a good talking to. 
You think you've been charged and you're an innocent man. Job, come here and talk to me a little bit about these things. He asked Job, in essence, Job, have you got your tape measure out? Have you been across the breadth of the earth? Can you tell me how wide it is, Job? Can you tell me, talk to me about the radius of it? What about the volume of land, land mass? Can you talk to me, Job? You want to talk to me? Talk to me about things that I'm mindful of at every millisecond of time and eternity. He questioned Job about light and darkness. And according to what he questioned him about, he stores light and he stores darkness. We have two deep freezers. We store things there. We have closets. We store things there. Evidently, God has a storehouse for his light and a store for his darkness. What a God we serve. He asked Job about the snow and the hell, the atmosphere, and through it all, Job didn't say anything. He didn't say anything. It's about like when I was a kid, my mall would catch me. My oldest sister and I spent a lot of time with our Ma and Paul. And Ma would catch me being mischievous. She'd catch me red-handed and say, now, don't you look pretty. And what have you got to say for yourself? I didn't have anything to say. I was a little red-faced boy that was embarrassed. I got caught. Job's a red-faced man. He has nothing to say now. He has nothing to say. He questioned Job about the rain and the lightning, the ice the frost, the heavens, the constellations. He questioned Job about clouds and lightning and parched earth, the parched earth. You remember that it's like a good song before preaching. You remember Elihu, the young man that proved to be a true friend to Job. You remember he has set the stage for it all. In chapter number 32, he, he kept saying, I have, I have something to say, Job. I, I have something to say. Listen to me, Job. Listen to me. Um, Job, I don't know if you've done anything or not, but I know you, your attitude, your outlook on it all is all fouled up right now. Job, I want to remind you about God. God does care for you. God does speak to his children. Uh, God is ever-present. He is on the scene, Job. And Job, you need to forget about what these three friends have said to you. And you need to forget about trying to be self-righteous and defending yourself. You need to forget about for just a few moments what you've suffered with. And you need your eyes and heart set back on God. And Job didn't offer any rebuttal to him, did he? Two preachers preached in a Bible conference. Um, one preacher preached, the first preacher preached, and someone was overheard saying, what a preacher. The other one preached and it got quiet. When he finished, someone was overheard to say, what a God. Right on the heels of Elihu's speech, God began asking his questions. He's talked about his creation. Now he moves into this business with his, his creatures. God, God set the the wild burrow up, the hawk, um, even the raven that you and I would despise, God has a purpose for him. He set all this up and just 
and getting what little glimpse we get here. And Job got a personal conversation with God. God's talking to him. And, and in this, just getting a glimpse at God's omniscience, his genius, it's astounding that God has created all that he's created and put us in the middle of it. And then we'd get the gospel to us that we may trust Christ. In this line of questioning of Job, God brings into focus six different animals and five different birds. Let me give them to you. I'll just list them for you. He wants Job to, con- to consider these, these six different animals. He speaks of the lion. We'll mention him here in a moment. He mentions the wild goats. He mentions the high, uh, the, the hind or uh, the heart, the psalmist would call uh, this animal. It's the deer. He mentions the wild ass. He mentions the unicorn. It's not the unicorn that you have at home with your Barbie set. He mentions the horse. You know, President Reagan said just the look of a horse will help a man. What a unique animal that is. Betsy, do you still ride? He's blind. If there's anything I miss that we did through the years, it's keeping, of course, we kept gated mules after we moved back to Pontotoc, but I miss them. If, there ever is, if the bond's ever made, that horse will take care of you. His feet can begin to come out from it. He'll still take care of you. A mule can watch all four of his feet at the same time. That's why they used him going in and out of the Grand Canyon. The last one we had, we had two gated mules. You could drink a cup of coffee off the back of either of them, never spill a drop of coffee. Shot up coming down the highway. If they were hitting a good lick, it was... You could drink a Coca-Cola, never spill a drop. Just as smooth. It doesn't matter if he's gated or not gated. He'll take care of you, won't he, Betsy? God set him up that way. The horse loves competition. Maybe we'll say more about that. Depends on our time. Concerning the birds. Now, if we only had one of these animals that God mentioned, only one of them, that would be reason to praise God. God, you did this in creating this animal, setting him or her up the way you did to function the way they do on planet Earth for a span of time. That's enough to thank God for. Now, you can behold the heavens and glorify God and worship him. But you can look about you. Solomon said, even said to consider the ant. How he works in unity. They don't have any bosses. Yet they work in harmony. They gather their meat in the summertime. Go underground in the wintertime. God set them up. If... If you were to get a recording out, uh, Brother Ronnie, Miss Shanda lived down in Louisiana, uh, helped in church planning down there. I'm sure they've been out near some of those bayous. If you were to listen to the frogs and the crickets and all the creatures of the bayou, if you were to listen to that, elevate the pitch of it and slow it down, it sounds like the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, all of creation. 
singing back to God. It's amazing, isn't it? We're the only creatures of his creation that rebel against him, that do not do what he has prescribed for us to do. He mentions five birds. He mentions five birds. He mentions the raven. He mentions the peacock. He mentions the ostrich. He mentions the hawk. And then he closes with the eagle. As God mentions these 11 creatures, he pairs them in twos. He couples them in twos, except for the horse. He doesn't pair him with anything else. He asks questions about all of them, except for the ostrich. He just talks to it about this most unique Foul. The first pair, the first pair underlines the provision of food, how that God feeds the lion and he feeds uh, the raven. The second pair is the wild goat and the deer. And he actually speaks to Job about the gestation period. Is that mother animal carries the young and then gives birth. That underlines the giving of birth. Isn't that interesting that God would talk to Job about this? Who do you think is the midwife out in the middle of the desert or on the mountainside? Who do you think attends the birth of this animal? God created this animal for his own good pleasure. He doesn't forsake it. As a matter of fact, we learn a bit from the Sermon on the Mount, the great Sermon on the Mount. The implication is what we would call a funeral. God attends the funeral of every grubby bird. Not a sparrow falls from the sky. But what God doesn't know about it. The third pair is the wild ass and the unicorn. And he speaks to Job about their freedom. They live and they roam. They have something you don't have tonight. They're free. You say, oh, preacher, I live in a free country. I'm free. You think you're free. You think you're free. God asked him if he's considered them. The fourth pair is the peacock and the ostrich. Both of them are unusual. Neither of them are like any other fowl in their makeup, in their character, their building. The fifth pair is the hawk and the eagle. He speaks to Job about uh, their flight and being up in the heights soaring. He pairs these 11 animals except for the one that's the horse. i tell you something. Don't throw a songbook at me. We were sitting in a Bible conference. Dr. Phillips, John Phillips, was sitting listening. Uh, some preacher, somebody, I don't remember who it was, had said something about uh, a dog perhaps going to heaven and guys were really just hee-hawing pretty good around the table, the lunch table in a dining hall. And then the food around asked Dr. Phillips, now, Dr. Phillips, what do you think about it? And he said, well, lads, do you believe we come out of heaven with Christ? Why, yeah, sure. They rallied around the dock. He said, what are we riding? He said, we're riding white horses. He said, don't comment on things you don't understand and that you know nothing about. I kept my mouth shut. I thought that was a good opportunity to keep my mouth shut. It's interesting, these 11 begin with a lion, which is considered the king of the beasts, and close with the eagle, 
which is considered the king of all fowl on the planet and the most majestic. God mentions these creatures. Some of them fly. Some of them pounce. Some of them crawl. Some of them live in the mountains, some in the desert. Uh, God created them all for their unique purpose. Consider with me the line, chapter 38, verses 39 and 40. The Bible says, Wilt thou, of course, this is God speaking to Job personally, Wilt thou hunt the prey for the lion, or feel the appetite of the young lions, when they couch in their dens and abide in the covert to lie in wait? <laughs> the lion, he's known for his strength and his power, his aggression. The lion is, is a predator. We understand that when he's stalking his prey, you can't even mic him up and hear him breathe. Stealthily, he stalks. He's very quiet as he hunts his prey, and as he leaps, he roars. Sometimes his roar has been heard as much as five miles away, and his roar is so loud and petrifying that whatever he's leaping to pounce on to take as his prey, it's petrified. It's instantly afraid, scared, affrighted. He talks to Job about the lion. The lion can weigh as much as 600 pounds, and those who are on safari, some of us grew up watching Marlon Perkins, and what was the old boy's name? It was his sidekick. Uh, Jeff, Jim, yeah, you know, he'd stick his head in the line, and he'd say, be careful about that, Jim. He could bite you. But on a safari, if you watch something on an animal show, some type of a documentary, the back of that line comes almost to where you drop your window, roll your window down the top of your door. We understand that the purring of a Jeep on a safari, a lot of times, even with the windows up in the line, walking side by side or walking beside, that his purring sounds like another engine that's running. He asked Job, Job, can, can you care for the lions? Job, can you feed the young lions? Job, do you even know when they're hungry? And when they are hungry, do you know what they're looking for? Job, tell me if you understand these things. You want to talk to me, Job? Talk to me about this. I feed the lions. I tend to the lions. A pride of lions can be made up of two lions or as, much, as many as 40 uh, lions. God in his good providence, he so supervises his creation, he makes sure that all of his creatures are cared for. Look, if you will, chapter 38, verse number 41. He moves from the lion to the raven, which is unsightly. Verse number 41, who provideth for the raven his food? When his young ones cry unto God, they wonder for lack of meat, the raven. You've never slipped up on a raven, have you? You've never called him up to you. Uh, you can't slip up on him. He's built the way that he's built. God speaks to him about feeding the raven. Of all the birds of planet earth, you would have thought maybe he would have started with the eagle, but he starts with the raven. The raven will eat anything, but he'd rather eat decaying carcass. God set this system up. 
The lion takes his prey, takes what he wants of his prey, and then the raven comes along. He has a little something too. God set this thing up. Both of them find their life upon earth. Both of them find their livelihood, their way of, their way of living here upon the earth. I thought about these two verses from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 and 26. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? I heard two different evangelists share back years ago the study that was done on birds of planet earth. How many different species and how much it would take to feed every bird of planet earth. And then took Bill Gates, if they were to have liquidated, and this would have been 15 years ago, would have liquidated his assets, made it all liquid and stockpiled it. They figured out what it took to feed the birds of planet earth just today and then figured out what Bill Gates was worth and figured that if he stockpiled, liquidated, stockpiled his assets, that he could feed the birds of planet earth for about three and a half weeks. And God every day has fed his birds for 6,000 years now, and he has no problem doing so. What he's doing is he's talking to Job about how he takes care. I wonder if it's in if he's beginning to impress upon Job, Job, I know you're in trial. Job, I know you're hurting. I know where you are. Job, just as sure as I take care of the lions and tend to them and feed them every day, and I've set the raven up so he can survive, Job, you're going to survive. You're actually going to get through this. I'll see to that. I'll tend to you, and I'll take care of you. Let me give you just, let me give you two more. We'll group these two together. Look at chapter 39, verses 1 to 4. He mentions the wild goats and the hinds. Both of them are easily scared off themselves, just like the raven. Verses 1 through 4 of chapter 39. Knowest thou the time when the wild goats of the rock bring forth? Or canst thou mark when the hinds do calf? Canst thou number the months that they fulfill? Or knowest thou the time when they bring forth, they bow themselves, they bring forth their young ones, they cast out their sorrows, their young ones are in good liking, they grow up with corn, they go forth and return not unto them. In other words, he speaks about uh, the gestation period, the, the nursing of them, and their weaning and going off into life. He's asking him, Job, can you offer help to the wild goats? To the wild deer as they give birth to their young. Job, can you nurse their young? Job, can you wean them? Do you help wean them or do I help wean them? Job, do you do for them or do I do for them? Goats, the wild goats and deer are nocturnal by nature. They feed early in the day and late in the day. They have been known to feed in the middle of the day. But oftentimes when pressure is put upon them, they feed at night. Nocturnal in their nature. The ways of the goats, the wild goats and the wild deer, Job does, doesn't understand their ways. God does. He made them that way. Job was demanding to have an audience with God, but he can't even slip upon him. 
God knows about everything, you know. He knows about everything. Two of our two youngest children, when they would argue when they were little, um, Anna would say sometimes to Matthew, would say something, said it had to be you. And, and you knew Matthew would, would lay it all on the line and you could get to the bottom of it in a different way when he would turn and he'd say, now God knows, Anna. Now God knows. Some of the men I used to pastor every now and then, they'd say something and they'd say, preacher, now God knows. God knows, you know. I'd like to break in right here if I could say something to Job in my feeble way. That's what I'd like to say to him. And I don't know how many times through the years I've sat with people and stated, God knows. God cares. And if he turns his back on you, you'll be the first one of his children. He ever did that too. I remember the first preacher that called me and told me that. In a hard place in life, his brother Bob Weldon. He said, Preacher, how are you? I said, I'm fine. He said, Now tell me, how are you? And I said, I don't know how I'm doing. He said, Preacher, let me just tell you if God turns his back on you, you'll be the first one. And I said, Brother Bob, I really need to hear, needed to hear that. Buddha can't help his bunch. Mohammed can't help his bunch. Joseph Smith can't help his crowd. But God leads his dear children along. He gives us songs in the night. He gives us wisdom for the asking. He feeds us. He clothes us. Sometimes some will say, well, you know, if God calls you to it, he's going to provide everything you think you need or everything you need. I was reading this morning. I was spending some time working on a message this morning out of Psalm 27. And, and I was reminded of what those last verses of the book of Hebrews chapter 11 have to say. That God don't always deliver his children from fire and from being sawn asunder and from the lion's mouths. He don't always, but he always gives grace. He always gives strength. What a God we serve. Well, Brother Wade Huntley. Wade Huntley was used of the Lord years ago out uh, in western North Carolina. All those preachers out there, 35 years old and up, every one of them quote Wade Huntley. Wade Huntley would go to bragging on God and what God knew and what God provided. And God's power just bragging on God. And I've heard a number of them say that he'd get happy in the pulpit and he'd just spin around his coattail, fly out. And he'd say, what a God, what a Jesus, what a Holy Ghost. What a God we serve tonight, ladies and gentlemen. He knows all about it. You say, preacher, does he know about my situation? He knows all about it. Daryl Duffy, when we were talking, when uh, he learned he was going to have to have surgery, um, this is what he said to me. I told him the Sunday following, we spoke on the phone. He said, Brother Kevin, he said, uh, he said, now God knew about this 66 years ago. I said, he sure did. I said, I like that thinking. 
He says, as a matter of fact, he knew about it six years ago. God knew about it this morning before I found out about it. And I ain't going to worry about it. The following Sunday, I talked to him on the parking lot. It's one of the evenings of Vacation Bible School. I talked to him on, I talked to him the Sunday following back there. And I just briefly said to him, just briefly said to him, I said, Daryl, I still remember what you said. And I'd mistaken. I said, you said that uh, God knew about this six years ago. He said, no, Brother Kevin, I said, God knew about this 66 years ago. I don't know what we're going to have to face from here until we cross over. But he'll get us to the other side. Never has lost to one of his children. Relationship with God is established by birth. It can never be altered. Our fellowship is lacking sometimes on our end, but our relationship is in good keeping. Our standing is in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. That's ground to rejoice, child of God. We count our blessings, I do, you do, we do, in food, shelter, clothing, income, health. It's okay. But he's provided far more than just a sandwich and a place to lay down at night and a little bit of health for a span of our lives. We are free in Christ. We are saved by the grace of God. We are sure of heaven. There's no condemnation to us. We stand in our sonship, which can never be altered. We stand in Christ, and we stand in Christ alone. That ought to make us pillow our head tonight, and as our heads hit the pillow, say, thank you, Lord. If I don't wake here, I do wake there. In thy presence. Let's stand with dismiss. Pick up here. Next, uh, well, next Wednesday we'll be out at Shady Grove. Pick up here next time. Thank you for being here. Brother Donald, would you dismiss us in prayer, please?